We are in the United States of America, which means that a lot of people have fought for our right, R-I-G-H-T, to write, W-R-I-T-E, our story. And one of the ways that we have been given the right to write our story is by getting out of our house, getting up from our desk, maybe not eating quite as long of a lunch, going out on election days and casting our votes. It is very important that we want to be heard on more than just Facebook and or whatever other social media venue we voice our opinion. You can voice your opinion this Tuesday on election day. And so we want to encourage you to go and do so. You cannot complain about things you do not contribute to. So go on Tuesday and contribute. Listen, I want to encourage you. Vote your values. Vote your morals. Vote your conviction. But evaluate whether your values and your morals and your convictions are in line with the words that God has already spoken. Because we don't get to rewrite that story. Amen? Amen. All right. Instead of waiting until January to evaluate where we stand, like the, most of the Western civilization will do on January 1st, we'll begin to make resolutions, we'll begin to make adjustments, we'll begin to adapt, we'll begin to do different things for at least two or three days. Some of us will last two or three weeks. We're going to do that in November before the end of the year. One thing about me that you may be noticing if you haven't noticed already is that I actually really like stories. I mean, I enjoy a good story. I've actually been known to interrupt a good story, to tell my own good story. I don't know if, if you don't know anybody that is that way, then it's you that is, you're that person. Okay, so over the years, I've I've tried really hard, and I'm just going to help you develop better relationships right here. I've tried really hard not to be the story topper guy, you know, the one that waits until the end of somebody else's story to tell a better story, you know, than their story. Well, let me tell you about the time. Everybody's like, oh, Lord, great. Here we go again. My story actually wasn't finished, but no, please, story topper, tell your story that we've all heard 75 times. I'm sure this will be the best time that we've ever heard it. I like to tell stories about scaring people. I like to tell stories about silly things that I've done or silly things that have happened to me or silly things that my wife has done uh, that have happened to me or silly, whatever. Lessons I can learn from my children, uh, my nieces, and, and the people that are around me. Uh, Jesus, I believe... Jesus used stories to communicate his message. In fact, Jesus would tell a story, we would call it a parable, but Jesus would tell a story in relationship with the day in order to illustrate his point. Jesus didn't just read the scrolls of old in a very monotone manner and expect people to sit still and listen until he got done. That's not what he did. He, he told stories. He gave illustrations. He gave examples, and, and the great news is, is that all of us, all of us have a story. And most of us, if we look hard enough or think hard enough, 
we can come up with some really good experiences, some stories that we would actually like to share with other people. Every one of us has a story, and, and we, we have stories that we love to tell, right? Like, hey, you, you remember the time when there was a problem and, and this was happening, but, but because we did this and we all stuck together and, and we all came out on the other side, or, or you, you remember that, that time we set a goal and, and we had an objective and, and man, God blew our objective out of the water like it was way better than what we were expecting it to be. I have a former student that's a youth pastor in uh, Midlothian, Texas, it's just below Waxahachie, Dallas area, South Dallas area, where Southwestern Assembly of God University is. He's just below that. And he and the district youth director spent the night on the building last week because they exceeded the expectation in their missions giving, in their speed the light giving. So they spent the entire night on the building, which I was impressed with. But then I was even more, like this made this story even better when Corey Webb, our former student, pulled his his hat off and his head was shaved, y'all. I mean shaved. I don't mean like like trimmed with clippers. I'm talking like big razor razor. I mean like shining better than anybody in the room right now on top of a roof with the sun coming down. And this dude had a head. I mean, it'd be like me showing up next week just bicked clean. <laughs> it was an impressive story. It's something that's fun to tell. The time when I a time when I made the right decision, not just learned from the, the wrong one. And obviously, we all have that, that funny story of when we did something fun or silly or that time when we were together. And that's a great thing, but then there's that, that not-so-great side of the story. You know, there's some places where, where we wish maybe we could just tab over or, or delete back. You know, maybe even just tear out entire chapters just years or, or months, months of years of our lives. We'd just rather not even let anybody know. And if we could change it, man, if we could maybe edit it a little bit, maybe we would just, if given the opportunity, we might would even lie right through it. Because it's not the great side of the story that we really like to tell. But we're all telling a story. Listen, listen. By the time you have a minister or an officiant, preach your memorial service. There is nothing that that person can add to or take away from the story that you've already preached with your life. You are currently preaching a sermon in everything that you do. You are currently sending a message, just as Jesus told stories, and now we continue to tell the stories of his life. People will tell the story of your life long after you have passed from this life into the next. And so the question that we want to ask today is, are we telling the story that we would actually want to tell? See, we may not be able to change what's been done, but for the note takers, you'll like this. We may not be able to change what has been done, but we can change what is being done. We still have a story to tell. And tonight, this morning, if you're taking notes, first of all, you can find your notes on the back of your bulletin, or you can go to eunicechurch.com notes, and we've taken most of them for you. And all you have to do is fill them in. Number one today 
Today's decisions will determine tomorrow's stories. The decisions that we make today will determine the stories that we tell and that people tell about us tomorrow. And we focus on the one big, right? We always remember the big moments, the big decisions. But often it's the thousands of little decisions every day. I have a friend that I believe he's, he got this from a teaching series. And I don't know who to give it credit for, but I've given credit, credit for it. Yeah, that. Uh, so I don't know who to give credit to on this. But he said, I determine my habits but my habits determine my future. My, my everyday decisions, the thousands of decisions that I have and I make every day, will determine the stories that tomorrow tells about my today. I didn't know this. I found it interesting. Uh, and The average adult in 2018, just uh, these social scientists that study these things out, and then we Google it and find out what they studied in the click of a button... The average adult makes approximately 35,000 decisions, 35,000 decisions every day. Our choices are important. Our choices are important. Our choices will determine the outcome of that situation. 35,000. A teacher, a teacher, come on, where are my teachers? Just wave at me. You win. You win. Teachers make approximately four decisions per minute. Four decisions per minute throughout a day. Can I go to the bathroom? No. Can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I like you more. No. You know, I don't know. Whatever that decision is, there's, there's four every minute. And listen, here's what's important. Many seemingly insignificant decisions... Decisions that you, you didn't think were really that big of a deal, seemingly insignificant, can ultimately have a significant impact on your life tomorrow, on your story tomorrow, or maybe even on the person who is surround, around you that you are making the decision on behalf of, making a decision for. Our decisions are extremely important. And it's a story of a, and it's a true story, an unbeliever in college, didn't grow up in church, didn't grow up with the flannel board and the stories of David and Goliath, not like my children that couldn't tell you what they learned at church that day. Uh, this person had no biblical background, an unbiblical worldview, and, and went to college and, and was invited to simply play softball. Four believers saw an opportunity to connect on common ground. If we're going to reach the people that God has put in our path that do not currently believe the way that we do, we're going to have to look for an opportunity to connect with them on common ground. Listen to me, church. Stop focusing on the 1% that you disagree on and find the 1% that you do agree on and give 100% to the 1% because they may be part of the one that Jesus was after that day and he put them in your path to use you to reach them. Focus and find the common ground. That's what happened to this person. 
this young man, unbeliever, invited to play slow pitch softball. Please don't invite me. I don't like it. Just saying. I'll tell you that story later. I just, I don't do well. It brings out the not best in Chris. Most of the time I have to repent and apologize and receive salvation uh, on multiple occasions throughout the game. But he went, four believers invited him, and ultimately those four believers led this guy to Christ. That man's name is Craig Groeschel. He's one of the most influential and prominent pastors in our nation today developed the church that developed the YouVersion app with over a billion downloads of the Bible on cellular devices. This man making these decisions with this influence all because four guys decided to invite him to play slow pitch softball. Seemingly insignificant decision. One time I offered... Some guys that I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with, but I knew where they were going and I knew what they were going to be doing. So I don't even know if this was a godly thing or if it just happened to be that I grew up Southern Baptist. And I mean, I didn't, wasn't really that convicted by cussing or, or messing around with girls that I wasn't supposed to, but I knew drinking would send you straight to hell. I mean, that's just, I knew that. I mean, there was no doubt, you know, like if you dance with the wrong person, you may or may not make it in. But if you drink that devil's alcohol, I mean, you know, the devil's brew over there, then you're going straight in. Like don't pass go, don't collect. $200. So anyways, I, I offered, I was like, well, guys, I don't drink. Let me drive you. And he's like, my vehicle's a standard. Can you drive a standard? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> By the time we get there, you won't know the difference one way or another. You know, so, so I drove and, and I drove over and, and, and it was that night that I met um, Megan Michelle Fuller at a house uh, because she was living with the girl that the owner of the vehicle happened to be dating at the time. Seemingly insignificant decision uh, became fairly significant, impactful in my life. I remember the time that a, a, somebody that didn't have to, um, somebody that, that wasn't pressed and pushed from the church necessarily, but they were a part of it and they just saw us, and they reached out to us and began to invite us and, and offer us a place to sit and, and, and try their best to minister to us, even though they may not have been the most equipped, uh, the most uh, ordained for that moment. But they reached out and they began to invite us and get us plugged into a church that, that ultimately we would end up as children's pastors and, and pursuing our credentials with the Assemblies of God, a seemingly insignificant phone call to a seemingly insignificant young couple, and here we are today. I'm telling you that the seemingly insignificant decisions can have significant impact. And the point is, sometimes we look back at life and we say, wow, man, I, I can't believe, I can't believe the way that decision impacted my story. I'm so glad I made that decision. But then on the flip side, there's always that negative where we look back and we live our entire lives wishing that we would have never made a specific decision because of the way that it did impact our story. Wishing that we would have maybe shared that Facebook message 
from that long lost relationship, shared that message with our spouse so that we didn't begin to receive gratification from it. Maybe perhaps wishing that we would have been a little bit more open and honest in all the areas of our lives because we now recognize as in retrospect as we, we look back with perfect vision that, that that decision or that indecision has cost us everything that we said we cared about. And now we look at our story and we think that there's nothing that we can do. The decision has been made and my life has unraveled and I am now stuck. But what if? What if one meeting, what if one moment, what if one encounter could change your story? This is my story. This is what we're going to discuss for this month. But I want to open with a message today, and this is not cliche because we're in the Bible Belt. I came here to tell you today, and I'm going to give you examples today, that Jesus changed my story. He changed my story. He, he didn't just let me meet him and continue in the direction that I was going. He began to carefully author new words that would not have been written had I not met him. He began to change the direction and the value and the stories, the good times, the bad times, and everything in between. When I met Jesus, when I began to truly follow him, my story began to change. And let me say this this morning carefully. If your story has not changed because you met Jesus. I want you to begin to evaluate whether you truly met him or not. If your story is not different because of your encounter with Jesus, if your story is not different because you began to follow him in a direction that you were not previously walking, then I want you today, this is not an angry thing. I'm not mad at you. I'm pleading with you because I've seen the impact of him rewriting the direction that I was going in. I want you to evaluate today. Have I truly met him? Am I truly following him? Is he changing my story? Last week, we, I actually unintentionally opened this series I knew this is where we were going in a series, but I didn't understand how connected last week's message that I, I actually thought was a stand. Don't you love it when God has you do something and you're just sensitive to his voice and then, and then he shows you later why he had you do what he had you do? I love that, especially when it works out. When it doesn't work out, I'm like, bah, you're going to fix it. <laughs> but when it works out, I'm always very grateful. So last week, we looked at the life of John. John the teenager, John the one that was following a, a guy eating locusts and camel hair around in the wilderness. I mean, it just kind of shows what teenagers will do when they don't have direction. So let's stop fussing about the direction that we're going and start leading by example in a new direction where we could connect with them before somebody does it for us. John was following happened to be John the Baptist, and then he began to follow Jesus. 
And last week we spent an entire message showing you how John's story changed. Look what he wrote in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Man, wouldn't it be great to have somebody write your story that's been here the entire time? And knows everything that you need to do and everything that you do not need to do. John says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. Like John says, I'm not telling you a story about somebody else's experience. And we teach this all the time. We say this constantly. But in the Bible Belt, specifically in South Louisiana, we have a tendency to live our lives through somebody else's story. We have a tendency to claim our relationship with Jesus just because of what our parents or our grandparents or our great-grandparents did. And I'm telling you that when you stand before Jesus, you don't get to tell him about your great-grandparents or your grandparents or your parents or even your brother, your sister, or anybody, your nunca or whatever. You don't get to talk about any of them. You will stand there with him and the only person that he will ask you about, the Father will ask you about, about one person. Do you know Jesus? Did he change your story? And John says he's the one that we heard and we've seen. John is essentially saying, this is my story. You can argue with my interpretation of his word. You can argue with scripture. But I heard him and I saw him. I walked with him. And I watched him work. You can't argue with my story. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Here's what I want to tell you today. Number two, if you're taking notes. And if you're not, I recommend it. Because you won't remember this otherwise. Where we could be. Where we could be. I wrote is still, but it's always, always. And you may be in a great place. You may be in a terrible place. But where we could be is still greater than where we are. It's still greater than where we are. Until the trumpet sounds and the Lord God returns, where we could be in Christ is still greater than where we are. Where we could be in God's will. What He has yet to write. Listen to me, friend. Whether you're, whether you're 18 or 88 or beyond, if you still have breath and a heartbeat and you're still here, then God sent me to tell you today that where you've been is not where you're going. And where you are is not as good as where you could be. Where you could go in Christ, in meeting Him, following Him, encountering Him, confessing Him, serving others by serving Him. Where you could be is still greater than where you currently stand. Yeah, you need to evaluate whether you're standing in Him. But even more than you need to evaluate, even 
even more than we need to evaluate whether we're standing in him. We need to evaluate whether we're walking in him, whether we're moving forward or whether we're just stuck in the same old stuff over and over and over again. Where you could be is always greater than where you are. I want to give you two encounters. We're going to close today. I want two encounters. One of them is it's, it's a pretty gentle encounter, but it still changed the direction of a man. It's a man named Ken Blanchard. Ken Blanchard, he actually wrote this book right here. I really didn't mean to do this either, but it just happened to be where we put it. He wrote a book called Lead Like Jesus, very popular book. If you've never read it, I, I would recommend this book. Uh, our staff has begun the process of going through this at one point, and, and then we began to kind of go through some other things, but we always end up coming back to some of the principles. This is, the, the I believe, one of the greatest leadership books that have ever been written because if you are not leading like Jesus, then you're, you're possibly leading astray. And so Ken Blanchard wrote this book called Lead Like Jesus, but this book, Lead Like Jesus, was based on Ken Blanchard making an evaluation of his life in the early 90s. Ken Blanchard was the man who wrote a book called The One Minute Manager. Anybody heard of The One Minute Manager? The One Minute Manager was a bestseller, millions of copies sold all over the United States, written in the mid to late 80s. And Ken Blanchard was so successful, so successful. He did something that most people wouldn't do. In fact, he did something that most church people do not do. Kim Blanchard was so successful with the book called The One Minute Manager that he thought to himself, surely this thing is bigger than my own ability. There has to be something bigger involved in the success that I am experiencing. Kim Blanchard, as a humanitarian, as a social scientist, he could not give himself credit of being that much better than everybody. Church, listen to me. Let's, please listen. Please stop giving yourself credit of being better than anybody else. Please stop comparing yourself to other people and making yourself feel better than you should because they're not as good as you or making yourself feel worse than you should because they're better than you. They are not the measure he is the measure. You don't feel better about yourself because you're doing better than somebody else. You go to the somebody else and you help them feel better because he's helped you feel better. You don't clean yourself up and prepare yourself and make yourself perfect. You go to him and you let him clean you up. You let him perfect you and you let him receive the glory and the credit for the place that you're in and the place that you're going. And when you meet somebody that doesn't measure up to him, you say, Hey, I got some common ground with you, baby. I didn't measure up either. But let me tell you about a man that I met in, at a cross called Calvary. Let me tell you about an encounter that I had with somebody that cared about me right where I was. Ken Blanchard realized this, the success of this thing, it can't be from me. Now, Ken Blanchard wasn't completely unchurched. He just grew up kind of in a little bit of a house divided his father was in one church, his mother was in another, and when his father left his mother, they stopped going to church at all. 
And then when he married, they began to dabble back into the church a little bit. And I don't need to name denominations here. They began to dabble back in the church a little bit. And the church that they were attending, I mean, in his words, all but killed the pastor, ran him out of town. And they had grown to love that pastor. And because the church was trying to do the pastor's job and, and the pastor couldn't measure up to doing the church's job, they ran him out of town. And Ken Blanchard and his wife and children quit going to church. And, and sadly, unfortunately, that happens all over our nation today. Uh, but Ken Blanchard wrote the book, and he made an evaluation. Surely the success of this thing is bigger than me. And it was in the midst of traveling and, and speaking on corporate leadership and, and opportunities that opened up because of the one-minute manager that Ken Blanchard began to meet other men of God who were interested in leadership. Men at, at the time like Bill Hybels, um, John Maxwell, um, prominent men of God, more than I could even begin to name. But he would sit on an airplane and he'd be traveling to a leadership conference. And, and in the aisle right next to him would be a pastor that was traveling to another leadership conference. Or maybe even the same. And, and they would have gospel conversations. And ultimately, Ken Blanchard, because of one pastor's time... Not to persecute Ken, not to shun him, not to, you know, man, you think you're so smart, you think you're so good, your one-minute manager's been so successful. I'm telling you, one-minute manager, and you are going to burn in a pit of hell. If you don't, That's not what he did. He actually took the man's book, and he said, you know, I believe that Jesus was one of the greatest one-minute managers that's ever lived. You could read the life of Jesus and see how he managed every minute with the utmost importance. He took seemingly insignificant situations and made them significant and impactful for eternity. And Ken said, really? He said, oh yeah, absolutely. I believe Jesus is the best one-minute manager that's ever walked the face of the earth. And so Ken Blanchard began to study the Gospels. Listen, you don't have to scream the Word of God. You just have to share it. You don't even have to defend it. You just have to share it. You just have to convince someone that they should take the time to evaluate what you've experienced. But some of us can't share our experience because we can't trace it back to anything. Or maybe we're not even really having one. We're just kind of showing up and watching other people have one. Ken went back and he looked at the Word of God. And he began to walk through the Gospels. And personally walking through the Gospels, he received salvation. Because he realized... That the best had not already been. Come on, somebody. The best was still yet to come. And Clint, Ken Blanchard began to travel the United States preaching about the greatest leader that the world has ever known. His name was Jesus. He was a man from Nazareth. And he had the greatest impact of any single individual ever. And if you can learn to lead like Jesus... You will walk with the greatest leadership role model of all time. A seemingly successful story. A pretty gentle conversion. Not a ton happened. Like he didn't come running down to the front because he'd had adultery on his wife. He didn't come running down the front because he was addicted to drugs and, and alcohol and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That wasn't his conversion. It was just a simple evaluation of where he had been and where he was going. And surely there was more to life than simply earthly success. I actually, I believe we put 
Kim Blanchard's testimony in your notes. If you want to go back and look at that, share it. We put the link on Vimeo to, to Kim Blanchard's. If, you, if not, you can email us. We'll send you that. So I thought, man, that was a pretty good encounter. That was a, the best is still yet to come kind of an encounter. But the whole time when we began to open this series, I was asking, I was asking Jesus, like, what story, what story was like the most radical conversion? What was the story that you took like the craziest, the most just forgotten, forsaken, the person that was the furthest away, and you brought him back? And immediately, I began to consider the demoniac. And I want to tell you about the story of the demoniac that one day, one meeting, one experience, one encounter changed his life for eternity. So here's what I'm telling you before we even dive into this. Unless you are sitting in that seat with 6,000 demons... And you spent last night in the cemetery across the street. You're doing better than this cat. There's still hope for you that the best is yet to come. Mark chapter 5. Come on, turn there with me or scroll there with me or slide your app there with me. Whatever you want to do. Mark chapter 5 verse 1. They being Jesus and the disciples. See, Jesus had just gone across the Sea of Galilee in the boat. And this was where he was in the front of the boat. And, and Jesus went to sleep. And there was a big storm. And the waves were crashing. And the disciples were scared. And, and Jesus is in the front of the boat, sound asleep. It's like when I go duck hunting. And, and, and I'm in a boat race in Arkansas. This is a big deal, opening day. Like, it's like somebody opens up, I mean, a floodgate. And there's just, just 50 boats with like, just complete inconsideration of one another. Or the fact that we could all die if one person up front wrecks. I mean, you're just, and we're going through trees. I didn't even know boats could fit through. So here's what I did. I just laid down in the front. I decided, if I'm going down, I'm going down like Jesus. So I laid down in the front of the boat, and I just went back to sleep. Actually, I prayed in the Spirit, and I trembled in fear. But ultimately, we made it. We made it to where we wanted to hunt and kill ducks. That's what Jesus had done. He had gone to sleep in the front of the boat. And then he wakes up, and he speaks three words, peace be still, and the storm is calm. They just needed one word from God. They just needed one statement from Jesus, and the storm all around them could be calmed, and the storm inside of them could be calmed at the same time. And they land on the other side of the sea. They came to the other side of the sea. Jesus had just dealt with his disciples. Okay, and I don't know about you, but most of the time, the people closest to me are the ones that I have the hardest time dealing with. Just me, anybody? Can we be honest today, or is that just Chris? Okay, most of the time, it's the people I love the most that irritate me the most. Okay, I just, it's those phone calls that I'm excited. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Well, I just needed to call you and tell, well, let me tell you something because you, we family, I'm not holding nothing back from you. I don't have to babysit you. I'm going to let you know. We're going to see one. I say, anyway, that's what Jesus was dealing with, right? He had just dealt with his disciples and he gets out of the boat. I mean, can you see, like, the storm was calm, they get out of the boat, and I mean, if I'd have been in a boat in a storm and just come across the sea, I'm like, whew, all right, give me a minute, right? No, no, no. 
He came to the country of the Gerasenes, and some versions read Gadarenes. It's not a specific town. It's a, it's a big general area. It would be like he came to the country of the Acadians. Okay, he, he came to the, not the, like the parish of Acadia or Lafayette or Eunice, but he came to the country of the countryside of Acadiana. That's what the scripture's saying right here. So verse 2, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat... He just dealt with dumb, okay? Just dealt with it. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, the Bible says, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Actually, there was 6,000 of them. Now listen, here's the sub point here. Every time that you get through a storm, you're going to have to deal with somebody on the other side. And if you can expect it, then you don't have to be discouraged by it. And I'm not telling you to be like Eeyore needing your tail pinned back on all the time. I'm telling you to be okay with the fact that when you operate in the supernatural, you don't get a break from being used by heaven. When you get out of one storm, you're going to be met by somebody with another storm. And if you can calm the storm inside of yourself, then God ought to be able to send you somebody that has a storm inside of them that you can speak to just like you just coached yourself out of. Don't get stuck in the storm and don't get frustrated when somebody shows up and they have one too. That's just me preaching to myself and letting y'all be a part of it. <laughs> Every story. Listen, you're not above or beneath, okay? Listen, listen. Every story has an adversary. Every story. Every story has a bad guy. We wouldn't even watch it if it didn't. We watch a whole movie and be like, where's the bad guy? Well, I mean, that was great, but it was boring. I don't want to watch a movie without a bad person that gets beat. <laughs> Come on. Now, if the bad guy wins, I'll throw that junk out too. I'm not even going to lie. If you leave me hanging, I will throw you in a trash can as a story, not personally, but as a movie. I just can't, I can't handle it. But every story has an adversary. And here's what I want you to recognize if we're not careful, we can be infected by our atmosphere, and we can become an adversary unintentionally. The Bible says this man was living in the tombs. He was infected by his atmosphere. And so he brought his infection based on his atmosphere into the path of somebody else. If you're not careful, you could be in the presence of a good thing and start messing it up. Because of all the bad things that you've been surrounding yourself with. Because of the atmosphere that you've been creating. Sometimes, sometimes we can't get out of it. Like I'm not telling you to go to your office tomorrow and my pastor told me I could quit because you're a bad atmosphere. A bunch of dead people. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? Listen, sometimes you've got to be in it and not of it. But there are times when you're in control of the atmosphere and you're not doing anything about it. And you're infected by the atmosphere that you're, you're letting control you instead of controlling it. In verse 3, 
Verse 3, he, this man, lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. We have a formidable foe. I just, I just want to make sure, like, this is, it's a real thing. Like, I, I don't want you to be the person that, oh, the devil's after me, preacher. The devil's behind every bush. He's under every rock. Now, Lucifer himself is probably not jacking with you. He's not omnipresent, okay? So you don't give him more credit than he deserves. But at the same time, there is a thing called powers and principalities of darkness, and they don't want to see us win. And so we do have to take the time to control the things that we can control. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. No one, no person had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. By the way, is a demonic spirit. You can't deal with cutting by getting frustrated at them. You can't deal with cutting by just not doing it anymore. You're dealing with a spirit that needs to be addressed. You're dealing with a spirit that needs prayer, that needs love, that needs concern, that needs to meet with Jesus because we can't keep trying to fix people. We let them connect to the person that can. Verse Six, game changer. It's battle of Saratoga moment. Turning point. New chapter. But when he saw Jesus, he was a demoniac in the tombs, possessed and cutting himself. But when he saw Jesus, He ran. He ran. He didn't wait and hope. He didn't sit and wonder. When he saw Jesus, he ran and he fell down before him. Literally translated, he fell down low. He submitted to his authority. He surrendered himself to the one that was in control. Verse 7, crying out. And I want you to, I believe, okay, and there's some disagreement here scholarly, but I personally believe that there is, if you will, an, an interchangeable he here, okay? That Mark is using he as a term to represent the man, and a term to represent the demon. Okay? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Okay? But I don't believe that the, the demon would have run towards Jesus. That's just me personally. I believe that the man, I believe there's an interchangeable he, and you've got to read this passage slowly to interpret which he is applied to the man and which he is applied to the demon. I don't believe that a demon ran towards Jesus, but I do believe they both fell down <laughs> when they got there. And so then, in verse 7, crying out with a loud voice, he said, I believe he's talking about the demon here, What have you to do with me, Jesus, 
son of the most high God. I adjure you, I plead with you, I beg you, by God, do not torment me. Okay, I believe that's the demon. That's the demon crying out to Jesus. Please don't torment me. Watch, for Jesus was saying to him, he was already saying it. He was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Because Jesus can always differentiate between the spirit and the flesh. He doesn't struggle there. We struggle, but Jesus doesn't struggle. In fact, he can help you interpret the difference between the two. He can help you take responsibilities for the things you're struggling with in the flesh. And he can tell, help you take authority over the things that you're struggling with in the spirit. Jesus was already saying to him, come out you unclean spirit. Jesus, listen to me, did not let an unclean spirit linger. He didn't sit and wait and hope that somebody else would say something. He didn't sit and wait and hope that somebody else would speak up to the spirit that was standing right in front of him. He spoke to it. You don't have to, whoo, you don't have to wait on somebody else to come to your house and anoint your thresholds with oil and speak the name of Jesus over the temple that you're dwelling in. You don't have to wait until Sunday morning in a prayer line around this building for somebody else to lay hands and speak over you. You can recognize the things that are in your life that you don't want in your life and you can speak to those things in the name of Jesus and as a man thinks so he is and the power of death and life lie in the tongue so choose life speak to it don't just stand there speak to it don't just wait and hope that somebody oh send somebody lord no he sent you you stand up you speak up you say the word you say his name at the mention of his name every demon in hell will bow certainly every spirit in every man woman or child will learn how to bow he didn't just acknowledge it he acted on it oh look a demon I mean, I don't know where the disciples were. The Bible doesn't say nothing about them still being there. They probably back in the boat they were scared of. Isn't that what we do, though? Just got delivered out of something. Faced something new. We'd rather go back to where we were than face what we're standing in front of. Jesus started speaking before the thing even had an opportunity to beg for a place to go. He didn't just acknowledge it. He spoke to it. He acted on it. Verse 9, Jesus asked him, I'll tell you what. <laughs> What's your name? So my name is Legion. For we are many. Now watch this, verse 10. I'm closing. I'm bringing this in. And he, the demon, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Listen to me, friend. Listen, listen, listen. 6,000 demons. 6,000 demons couldn't keep that man from running to Jesus. 6,000 demons couldn't keep that man from worshiping Jesus. 6,000 demons didn't have a comeback for the command. 6,000 demons didn't even try to fight back. 6,000 demons begged him earnestly because they knew 
the authority in front of which they stood. Listen, listen, listen. Hallmark moment for you. You get close enough to Jesus. You get close enough to Jesus. Your enemies will beg for mercy. I thought that was going to be better. I said, you get close enough to the King of glory. You get close enough to the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the author and the perfecter. You get close enough to the one that's already got a book fashioned for your life. And the enemy and the adversaries that get involved in your story will start begging the author for a way out. I don't want to be a part of this one. I don't have a place. I can't stay here. I don't belong here. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. They're all going to Arkansas. Praise Jesus. Sorry if you're from. Two are playing this week. My Lord, we got to look forward to something. Verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission and the unclean. Listen, the enemy has to ask for permission to mess with you. If you're in Jesus, he doesn't have authority over you. Quit giving him credit for something that he doesn't have authority over. He gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000. So 6,000 in one went into 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And now we call that salted pork. I'm just saying, it's not bad. Number three, final point. I need you to write this down. I need you to remember this. Your story is not over. It's not over. You need to remind your spirit of this this morning because some of you came in here hurting and some of you came in here overconfident. Some of you were Ken Blanchard and some of you were the demoniac. But Jesus can deliver us all. Your story is not over. One moment, one meeting, one encounter. Change it all. What will your story be? I want my story to be his story. That's what I want. I, I want today's decision to determine tomorrow's story. And I want that decision to be him. Where I could be is still greater than where I am as long as I'm following Him. And my story is not over because I still serve the author and the finisher of my story. It's not over. Father, we come before You today. God, I just want to address that normally this would be the time, man, when we open up these altars and we call these the front of the church, these altars the front of the church, and, and then we would ask people to come up and stand and we'd lay hands on them. And, and certainly we could do that, Lord. And, and even after service, if there are some people that, you know, God forbid, feel like that they're possessed or oppressed by a spirit, 
And I pray that they would find another one of these prayer leaders that they saw earlier and, and that we would deal with those things. But God, this morning, I pray that we would also realize that our story has got to extend past this sanctuary. Our story was not subject to a place in a building. That if you were on the seashores of a country that you never should have even been in, then you can be in a city that still calls you Lord, no matter how we call you. So God, for all the followers of Jesus in the room, for all of those who came in here today, and their disciples, they're, they're letting you write their story. I pray that we would still evaluate. Is there an area that I'm not letting him write? Is there an area that I think is too big for him? Is there an area that I need to acknowledge? I was a disciple. I'm standing there with Jesus, but I ran and got back in the boat when I should have stood firm and spoke. God, I pray that, that we would speak to the things that we would speak to and adjust the things that we need to adjust. And today we would be reminded that our decisions matter. How we treat people matter. What we say, where we go, and what we do matters. Help us to evaluate and acknowledge in Jesus. Help us to adjust in Jesus' name. Talking to the followers of Jesus. If that's you, could you just, could you just lift your hand right where you are? The Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're not telling me anything. You're just acknowledging within yourself and before God. God, that's me. That spoke to me. This message is loud and clear to me. I don't want to go back. I want to keep moving forward. And I'm going to be more intentional about it. I'm going to do it on purpose. I'm going to do it in you, Jesus. And now for all of those in the room, you don't know. You don't know where you stand. You don't, you're wondering, man, do I have a demon? Or do I just have a discipline issue? What you need to do is come to Christ or come back to Christ. The reason that we don't know is because we don't follow. But Jesus said, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments. But you've got to love me first. I'm going to invite you today. Whether your story is really simple Successful, maybe even up to this point. Or whether your story is treacherous. Not as bad, but man, you identified several things. If you're in the room today and you're wondering, is Jesus the author of my story? Have I really confessed him as Lord? I want to invite you to receive his salvation today. Receive his free gift that's on the table. All you have to do is pick it up. Confess Him as Lord and believe in your heart that He is who He said He was and He can do what He said He could do. If I'm talking to you, you need to receive salvation today or you need to rededicate your life to Jesus. For me, I just want you to walk out of here following Him. Would you just lift your hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I need to receive today. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I just need to receive. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being honest. I need to come to Jesus. I want to leave here knowing 
that I'm in right relationship with him. Anybody else? Just lift your hand. All we're going to do is pray with you before we go. Before anybody moves, before we do anything else, whether you lifted your hand or whether you didn't, the scripture says clearly, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And where you call is not nearly as important as the fact that you call and you believe and you speak it out loud. So right now together, I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to pray this prayer with me, whether you raised your hand, whether you didn't. If you mean it with all of your heart, God will hear you and he will answer you. Church, come on, help us out today. Let's all pray this together. Jesus, forgive me for not following you. Save me and cleanse me from myself, the world around me, and anything in me. Forgive me. Help me to follow you with all of my heart. Take my life. Make it yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, if you believe that prayer, can we give God praise in this house this morning? Come on, stand with me all over the room today. Thank you for coming.